The opinions of the commentator or commentators are solely those of the commentators and not of CJAD 800 or Bell Media. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome to today's entrepreneur. Uh, this is brand new for me. Uh, Josh Miller here from Fuller Landau. Dan Delmar is not here this evening. So for the first time since December 2009, Dan has uh, missed the show, but for a good cause because he is volunteering at the Table of Hope this evening at the Windsor Station. So uh, the best to you, Dan, and uh, I'm sure you look really pretty in that apron that you're going to wear. So here I am, and I'm joined by my partner, the managing partner of Fuller Landau, Michael Newton. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Josh. Mike has uh, been in the seat before uh, on various occasions when I haven't been able to make it. Uh, so everybody is pretty much familiar here what to do, maybe with slightly my exception. But uh, but I got it figured out. And uh, as we do every week, uh, we're going to we talk about news. We have a great entrepreneur to highlight this evening. Uh, this, this week's entrepreneurs, of course, as some people heard on the radio, is Nathalie Riviere of Virtual Resources. So welcome, Nathalie, to the show. Thank you so much. And uh, before we get into uh, Natalie's story and the great advice that she's going to give uh, during her segment, uh, let's get into some news of the week, uh, Mike. And uh, there, there's always lots that happen. Um, and so let's just kind of start off with people looking for money. Now, people looking for money, they, they can go to private equity. They can go to venture capitalists. Uh, there's certainly some that focus on startups. There's there's some that focus on more mature businesses. Uh, I know that uh, in the Financial Post recently, there was a story of uh, venture capitalist VCs looking at Canadian startups. It's actually an Ontario pension fund yep, or an offshoot right. that uh, that is looking to. What, what's your take uh, You know, for entrepreneurs if they should be looking or what should they be wary about when dealing with uh, private equity or venture capitalists? Well, many times I think people confuse private equity and venture capital. Venture capital is really a, a subdivision of private equity. Um, and really the whole concept of private equity in the family business environment is, is relatively new to the Canadian marketplace. And I, it really hasn't taken off yet. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that uh, that are that are part of it are, are uh, part of our, our business environment are very concerned about what private equity brings to the table, loss of control and everything else. And one of the things certainly within the private equity market is is this desire to take, uh, you know, uh, control or 100% of the company, rebuild, uh, modify. Uh, and the big difference between private equity and VC generally is private equity is taking an established company. VC is usually coming in under a, some form of chaos or in a startup environment. And uh, they don't always need to take a 50, uh, 50% state. But uh, either way, both are uh, looking to, uh, to make some money on some major changes and flip. They're not looking to stay for years. Now, for entrepreneurs, I mean, they're, they're maybe not used to the formality of of all the processes and getting the numbers and everything, but I presume they really got to, you know, cross their T's and dot their I's when they're dealing with professionals like this. Yeah, the the private equity in the VC market is uh, dealing in most cases or dealing with ex-bankers. So you're dealing with people that are very familiar to the financial services uh, spectrum. Uh, the hard part for a lot of entrepreneurs is, as you said, their, their businesses are not formal. So they haven't really had over the years the, this very structured environment. And one of the things that, uh, uh, that the, the, the professional financiers are going to do when they come in is try and make sure that they take advantage of the the fact that you haven't been all of that formal. Try and put the structure in place in order to be able to increase the value and then at some point in the future flip it and, and turn it around. Now let's jump to another topic. Uh, you know, we, we've spoken about this before uh, in the past couple of years and that is online retailing. 
there was uh, a story in uh, in the Financial Post again uh, that says Ontario sales are strong in Canada. Uh, businesses and SMEs don't necessarily have the ability or try to keep up. Uh, some of the stats, I mean, it, this is a, a, a Business Development Bank of Canada survey where they said 56% of Canadians shop online, 77% do research before they go out and buy, yet only 12% of SMEs actually offer their service or product online. Uh, what What's the lesson to be learned? Well, I think if you're looking, first of all, take the retail space where uh, a lot of the retail stores have really become very elaborate and very large showrooms. I think a lot of people, like you said, are doing their research. They're going to the store where they want to get the tactile side of things and are then proceeding to go back and buy online either at the best price or from the comfort of their own home. Uh, and, and I really think that uh, a lot of the small entrepreneurs really haven't focused on uh, on that kind of market space, nor have they also accepted the changes that come with selling the onesies and the twosies online as opposed to the large, uh, the large shipments. So there's a whole different uh, logistics involved. Now, for those of you just tuning in, uh, Dan Delmar is not here this evening. He is uh, volunteering his time at the Table of Hope. So you're listening to myself, Josh Miller, which hopefully you're a little bit familiar with, and uh, managing partner of Fuller Landau, Mike Newton. Now, Mike, as we were talking about online, there's still, you know, there's still stories out there where they say the online stores are still going to open brick and mortar, still going to open retail store locations. They feel it's a better footprint. We've seen it uh, with uh, Frank and Oak. Uh, you know, we've seen it with a number of places that are online. Why would somebody, I mean, on, you know, a retail store takes up a lot more dollars. Online yeah. is, you know, certainly more cost efficient. Why would an entrepreneur consider both? Well, I think there's still, we still live in a world where people like to actually touch and see the products that they're buying. So there are certain products that are much more conducive uh, to being in a physical space as opposed to seeing online. Uh, I think there's also, uh, there's also different segments within the marketplace in, in terms of comfort dealing online, security issues, and a whole bunch of areas. And, and for others, it, like I said earlier, it's a little bit like a showroom. So. Now there was another show. There was another story in uh, Financial Post. Seemed to be a lot of business stories in the Financial Post this week, as they always do. And it was about drastic changes in businesses. It was this company, uh, Blueprint Software Systems, where a new CEO came in, and things were, you know, very flat. The people were kind of non-motivated, and he just came in and cleaned house. It was difficult. They were difficult decisions to make, but he truly felt that. You know, if he didn't do something drastic, this company was going downhill and going to be closed really fast. Entrepreneurs have to make difficult decisions all the time. Uh, what would be your comments? What would be your, your, your best words for the entrepreneur that has to go in and realize that, you know, tomorrow is not going to be very good if, if you don't fix today? Well, not to speak to, to Blueprint because I don't know the story all that much, but I think we're, they're facing a very common practice. And there's no doubt that businesses that have been around for a long time have a terrible tendency to become complacent and uh, kind of rest on their laurels to a certain degree. And I think the, you know, in, in the world we live in today, I think there's always somebody willing to be competitive. Uh, the issues that you do end up facing in many cases now is that you've got this international aspect to things. Um, so if you're not going to keep up to date, if you're not going to be online based on what you were talking about before, if you're not going to play in that area, uh, you need to shake things up. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the problems start at the top. So, you know, people go in and they're going to clean house. Well, they got to clean house and sometimes they got to start right at the top because uh, the complacency and the comfort levels uh, certainly come from uh, from those setting the, uh, the groundwork. Now, speaking of international uh, and of course local, you know, the term made in Canada. That is that is that going to start meaning something soon? I mean, I think we've been hearing some some manufacturing coming back. Um, but what does that mean for entrepreneurs? 
Well, I think the, uh, the the concept of made in Canada has always been one of quality uh, and definitely something that we've always been proud of. Uh, the expectation, I think, certainly will be more and more on, based on a Canadian specialty product. Uh, I mean, not that I, I'm going to say we're only going to manufacture and export maple syrup, but there's no doubt that that Canadian content has some kind of international marketability. If we could get some of the labor, labor costs down a little bit more uh, and get a little more volume, because there's no doubt that the Canadian market space is not enough to absorb uh, its own product. There has to be uh, an international aspect to the products. And I think Canada has done a pretty good job on the international scale at, at understanding what the world wants uh, I think our biggest problem at this point is still being Canadians. We're a little too laid back and a little too casual. Uh, we're patriotic, but there's no doubt that uh, the 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 essence of what Made in America is meant from a marketing perspective certainly hasn't hit home yet in terms of Made in Canada. No, and I, I agree with you completely, uh, not because you're my partner, but because it actually makes sense. Well, there's always a first. Uh, there, you know, <laughs> on air, I control you. So, yeah, hey, you know, you got to work with that. Yes, sir. Uh, I like the term yes, sir. Uh, but but absolutely, it's it's just the question of entrepreneurs becoming that much more efficient with their processes. And when you talk about uh, lean business, lean manufacturing, uh, lean processes, there's no doubt that it has to be at least that. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, coming thanks, up Josh. after the break, we have uh, Natalie Riviere of Virtual Resources. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Uh, this is not Dan Delmore with a cold. This is actually Josh Miller sitting in Dan's seat. Michael Newton, our managing partner of Fuller Landau, is sitting in my usual spot. Uh, it doesn't fill the chair as much as I do, but uh, that's radio, so you can't really see size difference. In any event, we welcome uh, to the show, to the program, Nathalie Riviere uh, from Virtual Resources. Welcome again, Natalie. And as we do with uh, with every every guest on the show, the first question's a pretty easy one. Well, let's tell the listener exactly what Virtual Resources does. Perfect. Uh, virtual Resources offers virtual communication resources to businesses. That means if you want to communicate online, we have everything uh, to uh, spread your message externally. So online marketing suite of services, we're talking websites, optimizing websites for search engines, social media, analytics, PR, advertising online, search engine marketing. And then uh, with a website comes a domain name, you need email and you need to collaborate internally. And so we're also a Google Apps uh, for Business and Work partner. And we help uh, coordinate collaboration tools and um, virtual communication tools uh, within teams. So I've got two questions for you. One of them uh, we'll come back to in a second, which is this whole discussion of uh, social media and the marketing aspect and getting your message out. The first is, why, why are you doing what you're doing? What brought you to this? I think you've had a myriad of past uh, activities. Uh, you found yourself in a space of, uh, of uh, marketing, which uh, no doubt is uh, highly competitive. So how do you, what brought you here and what do you see as your main difference? Um, I got online because while I was studying business uh, for many years, involved in family business, 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 um, I have this right brain uh, thing going on and I uh, worked on the side um, in as a makeup artist and I practiced yoga enough to be certified eventually as a teacher in that. 
and I sang in a band and I hung around with these people that all had incredible passion and incredible ideas to help the world, change the world. Um, and I wanted to do that too. I see some room for improvement. And, uh, you know, I realized amongst them that I had a real advantage. I was able to organize myself. I was able to um, make things happen, I guess, in, in the arts. And so that's where I started. Um, and people were like, how come you can get people at your shows? How come you can get hired for these gigs? And uh, and so I noticed that understanding business um, was a real uh, pro. And so these are the people I wanted to help. Uh, when you're starting off, you really don't have large budgets. And uh, online became the alternative that was affordable. But it's also the place where everybody can raise their voice. Everybody can take their space and spread their message. And um so it was this two-way form of communication that really uh, excited me from a marketing perspective. Okay. There's no doubt that social media has uh, carried us uh, into a very new generation of communications. Uh, and it's gone from being a, kind of the friendly, what I did yesterday afternoon or what I'm eating for dinner, to this whole new uh, mode of communication. Um, and, and I think the... The aspect that everybody's dealing with is not the fact that they should be in social media or the communication is there. It's exactly where to spend their time and their effort. I mean, the old real estate adage was, you know, there are three important things to real estate, location, location, location. Uh, I think it's pretty much the same thing here when you're talking about communications via social media. You can't be everywhere. Uh, and there's also a few kind of rules of thumb, I guess, at the end of the day that you know uh, you know better than probably anybody else that I've spoken to on the subject. And it, and it takes uh, certainly a lot of experience because the online world is, is a whole different thing. So when we come back from the break, we'll get Natalie's answer on what makes that a little bit different. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. And we're sitting here with Nathalie Riviere of Virtual Resources. And we were talking about uh, social media and the understanding it and the balance between everything. Uh, so I know Mike had asked a question before we left, Natalie. Uh, maybe you can kind of come back and, and talk a little bit about that social media, about the balance, about you know what the entrepreneur really kind of has to deal with in that minefield. Um, social media is a very large world, and so is the internet. I guess it's this wild, wild web, unregulated. Um, most people understand social media from a personal perspective. Uh, that's great, and that's where you get the uh, what I had for dinner and the selfies and uh, all sorts of things. And people people really understand social media from that angle. Um, what I uh, like to talk about is social media from a business perspective, even if you're your own business uh, as an entrepreneur working for yourself as a professional, um, there's ways to have the internet work for you and social media is one of them. Uh, so there would be the, the ones that I would recommend being on just from a visual uh, identity basis because of the way search engines work. Social media is a really great way to get found in search engines. Um, and then you also need to consider your community. And, and it's, social media is a great way to get to know them. 
But there are a lot of tricks. Um, maybe you don't want to reveal them on air, but there's a lot of tricks in order to not waste time, energy, and money when you're when you're dealing with the social media sites and, and how you're going about doing things. And it was one of the things when we had this initial conversation that struck me because I think most people that go online are just completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like throwing a net over fish as opposed to trying to shoot fish in a barrel. Uh, and people waste so much time and so much energy. Is there a couple of things you might want to give away to anybody that, uh, that makes a little bit of sense without giving away? any uh, top secret? I'm happy to share. No problem. Uh, I would say when you're considering social media, I would look at your habits and what you already do. Um, and I would really encourage people to put the time and energy that they put in social media into their own websites. And so your value online is measured in the size of your traffic and the size of your database, how many email addresses you have. Um, and so ideally, all of your social media efforts would be reinforcing traffic coming to your website and people signing up to your newsletter. So so if I follow that thought through, you're telling me I shouldn't be posting all this information on Facebook, that I should be just posting my links? Exactly. You should be posting the words and those updates and the content should all be living on a platform that you own. And so your own hosted website, ideally. And then you take the link from there and share that on social media. So social media becomes a vehicle to get people to your site. Uh, and you're benefiting from your content, which is very valuable online, and your efforts. It's 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 the old adage, you know, Mike. You know, you want to be measured by, uh, but the size but of my database, the size of your database, exactly, <laughs> DB. So. <laughs> So technology has changed drastically throughout the years. I mean, you've been doing this, I think, for about 10 years now. What's been the biggest change that you have to kind of learn or overcome? Um, the internet still pretty much works the same way. I mean, social media, uh, especially in business, is new, and it's still something everyone, I think, is figuring out. Um, the biggest change, though, I'd say is apps, mobile apps, and the fact that now so many people uh, experience the web and, and almost only know it from a mobile perspective. Uh, well, I think uh, I think the, the 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 time and the energy spent again on, on social media is exhausting and overwhelming for most people. I mean, I think a lot of companies and a lot of firms have kind of banned Facebook or or social media access during the day, and I'm not sure that's necessarily the right way to deal with things. I think it's more about trying to set policy and procedure that allows people to continue to communicate. Because I think if your people are doing things properly, there's an awful lot of message that could be sent out between nine to nine to five. And beyond nine to five, of course, because there's a whole other world that kind of either doesn't sleep or turns the clock upside down because yeah. we're international. And that's why we keep you off of Twitter. And that's why you keep me off of Twitter, especially <laughs> late at night. That's right. We are here with uh, Nathalie Riviere of uh, Virtual Resources and uh, managing partner of Fuller Landau, Michael Newton. Uh, when we come back after the break, we'll talk a little bit more with Natalie, a little bit more how she runs her business and, and how she kind of found a partner in this whole grand scheme of things. But right now, from the CJD800 newsroom, here is Kelly LaParry. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. I'm Josh Miller, sitting in for Dan Delmar. I'm sitting in for Josh Miller, who's sitting in for Dan Delmar. It's uh, and and we have with us just to keep us on a, the straight and narrow, Nathalie Riviere from Virtual Resources, who's doing a really good job when we're off air, keeping us on our toes and and off our mics. You mean the 
So let's get back to the story. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back in time a little bit. You said you uh, grew up in a family business and an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. uh, family business. Um, I'm sure that that had a little bit of an effect on how you run your business today and the things that you saw. And you know, I don't know if you want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I'm sure there's some lessons you learned along the way that you've carried with you. Anything that uh, that really stands out in your mind? Yeah, um, it definitely influenced me in the sense that I uh, was very, very lucky to witness um, my father's entrepreneurial process. It's been 26 years now that he's in business. He started off as an artist as well, uh, got pregnant with baby Natalie and needed some more money than he was making at the time. Um, And he's just a really creative person and a a really great uh, leader, I think, and person to rally team around him. Um, so I think I learned a lot from that, but I saw him build uh, a business in manufacturing and have lots of inventory and overhead and employees, and I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> when uh, when I saw it that way, it was in school when I, uh, I guess, learned about services and yeah. in the community I was in when I saw the needs that they had. Um, it was definitely service-based, and and so my approach has really been uh, to avoid overhead and to avoid employees and hire uh, people. And my father always told me to find myself a service job where I could hang up a shingle and I could support myself and not to carry any inventory. What he didn't tell me is uh, I'd have to work with guys like Josh along the way, even <laughs> though there's no inventory. So. And look how happy you are today. Oh, ecstatic. Um, Natalie, let's uh, take a more serious turn, I guess. Uh, Obviously, you started out on your own. uh, And I think uh, now you've kind of uh, moved forward and and taken on a partner and have kind of looked at things under a little bit of a different microscope. So maybe you want to share that with our listeners. Yeah, it's been an evolution. Like, I'm very happy to... uh to, to hire people, but I've always gone with hiring independent people. Um, and so I started off as a consultant in the, the music industry when uh, Napster hit. I was with the Donald K. Donald Group and uh, helped them with an online store uh, so they could charge for music and, and try to bring value back to that the art. Um, and very quickly, uh, I realized, you know, the people that I was targeting and in general in school, you learn a profession, but you don't learn how to exchange or promote yourself for what your expertise. Um, and so everyone kind of needs what I do, <laughs> especially because I help the small guys or the, the, I mean, there's entrepreneurs at every level, but a lot of these tools are only available to the really big boxes to just get bigger and bigger. And so uh, targeting artists, which then evolved for me into targeting entrepreneurs, um, is a very big and open <laughs> wide market. How, how how did you determine pricing? I mean, you're getting into this business. You're kind of, you're dealing with startups. You're dealing with, you know, young entrepreneurs. You yourself are kind of getting into it, trying to, trying to, I presume, be somewhat transparent to your, to your customers. How do you figure out how much you sell your time for? Um, at the beginning, I was, I'd left a contract and it was my challenge to be able to earn the same amount of money on my own that I had been paid uh, with the company. And, um, you know, Teaching yoga and and, uh, doing makeup made more money than you think. It helped me with my startup and business, go figure. Uh, But eventually, I convinced uh, the artist to pay me $20 an hour, and then it's grown uh, since then. Still very affordable and still uh, probably frustrating a lot of uh, people that are independent because um, I take the approach more where I'd rather be busy and helping than charging a rate that maybe only a few people could afford. 
I think at the end of the day, it comes down to value. I mean, there's no doubt that your hourly rate is a function of how uh, uh, efficient, but how much an individual is getting in return. And mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, that obviously the big guys have a lot more time and, and significantly deeper pockets to make a mistake. So when you sit down with somebody, when you sit down with a potential client or with a new client, you've got to take the limited amount of money or the limited amount of resources they have and point them in the right direction. What's the first thing you're really looking for when you sit down with, the, with a new contact? Uh, what their goals are and how we're going to be able to measure them. What, what is it that they really want? Okay, the, the, uh, the, the concept of measurement is an interesting one because I think the, uh, there's no doubt that this is the first very true measurement uh, within marketing and, and communications that we can actually reach out for on a two-way street from a communication side. Uh, maybe you want to discuss that a little bit because I think most people that grew up on the marketing side went to you know Gallup poll or crop poll or whatever the case is, whereas now you've got the instant measurement tool. Yeah. Are you I, trying to measure your database again? 100%. <laughs> Just checking. I love, thank love, God, love. Thank God Dan's back next week. <laughs> I love data. I love analytics. Um, I love the numbers that we can get from this. And I love it because it takes opinion out of the conversation. Uh, not that that's bad. It's great to have instincts and ideas. Uh, but it's all about, you know, what are you serving and who are you helping and their behavior. And so with the information you can get online and social media and through websites, also newsletters, it's incredible what you can learn. Uh, the old ad adage audience. is you can manage what you can measure. So when you're measuring, what are you looking for? Uh, it depends if you're asking about social, if you're asking about a website. But generally, I'm looking for the opportunities. I'm looking for um, what people are, like what their behavior is, uh, what they're looking for, what's working. Um, and so same thing with social. It's about taking the time you have and getting the most out of that input and oh. so the analytics can really reveal where you can do that if you are limited to amount of time to be able to promote yourself or, or push for sales. I'm assuming you have to steer and guide people in the right direction because there's no doubt that what they think is an important measurement tool or an important measurement may not in fact be the case. How much time do you spend in terms of trying to get uh, your new clients together and say no you know what that maybe that's what you think but really we should be over here. Are people's instincts very good initially or uh, is there some kind of input that, that you need to put on the table in order to get everybody up to, up to speed? I think it's an instinct game up until you get set up with these tools. It's not easy to get this information. You know, you have to set up all these tools and be feeding them. The internet is a living thing. It's like a plant. It needs to be watered. Same thing with social media. So a lot of time is spent just setting up. And then once people start using them, sometimes they get so busy that they're not interested in growth or where the next opportunities are always. Um, so analytics is something that we really value. Uh, we end up using it in our coaching. That's how we serve people ongoing. We always bring the analytics to the table. Um, and then, yeah, they generally speak for themselves. So it's uh, great to have the ideas and the instincts and what you want to do. But it's even better when it's backed by by. <laughs> you're 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 dealing a lot, you know, or you know, small businesses and startups as part of your, your clientele. Uh, no doubt in Montreal, there's plenty of incubator places and uh, and people really needing to get going. Uh, what do you do from that aspect? Kind of a community give back, give back to that that entrepreneur. What's worked for you, or what, what I guess drives you in that respect? Well, I think my whole business started from realizing that people aren't learning this in school. And so I'm very happy to help uh, to the best of my ability. And I have a beautiful network now of people 
helping me um, service uh, and fill this 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 gap. Dawson in particular, you've been working with. Well, that's it. I sought out the schools because uh, I can do as much as I can, but I'll never be able to help everyone. And so the problem really starts in school. That's where people need to learn. You don't need a master's in business, but you just need to learn professionalism. What is that language? What is this culture? How you know it started with barter, and now we have money between us and it's still barter but seven billion people wide and we're all just exchanging what we're here for and communicating what we're here for and so just to learn how to exchange and communicate what you do for me is professionalism and uh the lester b pearson school board was doing uh, a really great job for elementary and high school and dawson college was uh pushing really hard with entrepreneurship that's uh, it, so much, so much to learn from you, Natalie. Uh, I know we're we're kind of coming up to our our next stage. Uh, please stick around. Uh, coming up after the break, we have uh, Mr. Ernie Furt, uh, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Talk a little bit. Uh, he'll keep us entertained with uh, his tax knowledge as much as anyone can with tax knowledge. Uh, and uh, we'll come back with our one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur by Natalie. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. This is Josh Miller sitting in for Dan Delmar and Michael Newton, uh, managing partner for Orlando, sitting in uh, my usual spot tonight uh, here with Nathalie Riviere of Virtual Resources. And we bring into the program Mr. Ernie Furt, uh, one, our, another tax partner, another partner in our office that specializes in tax. Uh, welcome to the program again, Ernie. Thank you. Well, we're going to pay attention and see if Ernie was paying attention. So, and this is something I never thought I'd say anywhere, but we're going to play test the tax man. So, uh, we had some topics earlier in the evening uh, discussing online retailing, made in Canada, and foreign investment for private equity and VCs. So, those are going to be the topics for the next couple of minutes. So, um, I know you like to talk tax, uh, and I think you talk tax in your sleep. So, uh, maybe let's uh, let's turn the mic over to Ernie and uh, go on the online uh, tax implications well it depends where you're selling online if you're selling online in canada uh you have to do some registration for gst for sure uh you have to charge hst because hst and gst are synonymous and you may have to register for some provincial sales taxes um in the states you have to take a look and see if you have nexus in, the, in those states uh, which is a connection to the state and you may or may not be forced to charge the uh, the varying sales taxes by jurisdiction. And it also depends who you're selling to in the states, because the rules are different. Uh, when you when you're selling to when you're selling to consumers, then you have to charge the U.S. sales tax. Uh, if you're selling to businesses, if you're selling B two B, you don't have to. So I'll dumb it down for all us listeners, including myself. Basically, if we're selling online and we're doing online retailing, just call Ernie. Uh, pretty much. Is that the safe bet? All right, perfect. Um, let's go on in terms of uh, exporting. So let's uh, let's discuss export, GST, QST. I mean, there's a number of questions that come our way on a regular basis about uh, I'm importing goods from China. I bring them into Canada. I'm uh, using them in the manufacturing process. I'm shipping them out. I'm paying duty. I'm paying tax. I'm paying all kinds of stuff. Where does it end? What do I do? Where do I go from here? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's oh, all okay. I, got for I just wanted to check if that was all. I had to take a deep breath. Absolutely. Okay. Let's start with importing stuff to Canada. When we import stuff to Canada, we're going to be paying duty and we're going to be paying GST on top of the duty included price. Now, that's usually charged by the customs broker and is charged to the importer of record when the goods come across into Canada. 
So you're going to pay the GST there. You're going to pay it to the customs broker. You're going to claim that back if you're in business. And then you're going to continue doing your process uh, back at your manufacturing concern or warehouse. Now, when you're exporting, you're not going to be necessarily charging the, the GST. You just have to watch for the other sales taxes in other jurisdictions. Uh, if you're exporting outside of the country, you're not going to charge GST at all unless the stuff is picked up here. You just have to be able to watch on your online sales where you're selling them to and prove that the goods were actually shipped there. And if you prove that the goods were shipped there uh, by bill of lading, by a FedEx receipt, whatever it may be, then you're charging tax based on the proper destination. So that sales office or showroom I have in New York or the uh, warehouse that I have in California, is there any implications? You have to be careful. Those two states are fun. Uh, they're probably the highest tax states in in the United States. California, you probably have nexus with a showroom. New York State, if memory serves, I think you can be in New York State for under a week and you'll be okay. But if you're there for more than a week, uh, then that sales that sales uh, showroom creates nexus for New York State law, not necessarily federal tax law. Because that's governed by the Canada-U.S. tax treaty that says a showroom is not necessarily a, a permanent establishment. So you have different rules depending on where you're going. Clearly fascinating tax law, but actually it's a, it's a huge minefield that entrepreneurs, when they're selling uh, online, selling internationally, just just have to know these things. Uh, we are we are here with uh, Ernie Furt, uh, tax partner at Fuller Landau, and uh, going to take a break. Uh, when we come back afterwards, we're going to get Natalie Riviel's one piece of advice on today's entrepreneur. Coming up on 754. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to the remaining moments of today's entrepreneur. Uh, and as we kind of continue our our little discussion here on uh, tax, uh, international tax, uh, tax for online services, uh, just before we get to Natalie's one piece of advice. Uh, Ernie, you know, there's the online world has gotten that much more sophisticated. Governments need or are trying to keep up with it. Are, are they insisting on different reporting or records that you have to keep when you're selling online? If you're reg almost regardless of your what you're selling, because people can buy from anywhere. People can buy from anywhere, and, and they have to identify where the stuff went. So, depending on what you're selling, you know, if you're selling intangible property, they won't necessarily know where the good went to. And sometimes what happens is they'll, they'll track it on the uh, on the basis of the person's payment method. Where where are they paying it from, and and, and where is it going? Because it's not it, it's not like physical goods that there's an address delivery. No, but and then there's also of course the IP address, the the geolocalization that uh, that the government is is trying to or is act, not trying. They're actually insisting. They're insisting on, on, on there's a there's a form and on the on the returns that ask you if you you know are are you doing any online sales and you have a, a, a transactional website and so you have to list your websites because they want to ensure that you are in fact paying tax on the sales that you make from that website but most entrepreneurs are going to give you the initial reaction of saying oh more paperwork more compliance i don't have to bother what's the implication if they don't file if you if you don't file there's always penalties for for, for failure to file and some people if they don't keep adequate records uh they could have a bigger problem uh, and they can get tax assessments and they can uh, and they can get arbitrary tax assessments that you at the end of the day have to start fighting so you know it's better to pay me now than pay me later and 
work out the stuff and make sure that you start off correctly and ask the questions first and don't ask the questions six months into your plan. So there's not necessarily any payment requirement. It really is just a reporting requirement at this point. At this point in time, there's a, there's a reporting requirement. Perfect. But as we all know, the government auditors are on the road and there are many of them. So better plan ahead when you're doing this kind of stuff. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Ernie. And Thank as you. we come up to the uh, remaining moment of today's entrepreneur, we turn to our guest uh, as usual and uh, ask uh, Nathalie Riviere of Virtual Resources, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think it's really about uh, sharing your passion, uh, sharing your ideas, and uh, sharing it to the point that you're talking about it and uh, attracting uh, people around these topics creating conversations around the topics uh, and that'll help you uh, surround yourself with a great team. Uh, even if you're working on your own as an entrepreneur, I think it's about uh, finding uh, the people that are experts in their field and getting all the help you can. And so surrounding yourself with uh, great people asking for help would be up there for me. Perfect. Well, I think you hit the first. If you were to ask me my top, my top two, the first one is always passion. The second one is execution. I think a lot of uh, a lot of businesses fall down on the inability to execute and inability to get things done. So I think if uh, if you're going to ask me one major issue, make sure you can put your money where your mouth is and get things accomplished. Well, thank you very much, uh, Natalie, for being with us. Uh, Ernie, as always, uh, always insightful. And Mike, for sitting in my chair while I sit in Dan's chair. They were uh, big shoes. They th thank you. We're measuring our databases once again.